0: preach at two different churches as well, so next week I'll be preaching at the Lutheran Church, and then the week after I'll be preaching at the Methodist Church. It kind of all just happened at once. They just called me within probably just a few minutes, actually, and, Hey, you want to preach here? Uh, y- yeah, I can do that. And Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. So it's kind of a fun opportunity. Um, I'm always excited to get to practice doing this because this is kind of— uh, I hope to make this my job someday, so, you know. um. And so, like I said, we're going to be jumping into Psalm 150 this morning. It's the last psalm in the book of Psalms. Um, And I thought it made a lot of sense to do this because, uh, and actually I couldn't have planned it better because um, Eric, preached. you know, he's been preaching through uh, this series called The Enemy Within, and we've been talking about sin, and we've been talking about the effect that sin has on us and what it does to us, and then... We also talked about how we as Christians are called to pursue holiness and pursue righteousness and flee from sin and run towards God. And he said something last week towards the end of his last sermon. He said that um, a great way to overcome sin is to, is to worship God or to praise God. And so I thought it was cool that he said that because I had planned this sermon like I don't know, like a month ago. And and here I am. Now we're going to focus in on praise. And so I wanted to start off the sermon with this quote. Uh, It's from a guy named Tim Keller. And he says this. He says, the secret to freedom from enslaving patterns of sin is worship. You need worship. You need great worship. You need weeping worship. You need glorious worship. Worship. You need to sense God's greatness and to be moved by it, moved to tears and moved to laughter, moved by who God is and what He has done for you. And so, I just wanted us to keep that in the back of our heads as we're walking through this Psalm of Praise. That a part of us uh, growing as Christians and overcoming sin in our lives and overcoming the the grime and the grut that is our flesh and our desires and overcoming our sinfulness is, a part of it is, is worshiping God. And so um, and before we jump into Psalm 150 itself, um, the Psalms weren't just like, because as most of you know, the book of Psalms is like a song book. It's a hymn book. Um, and they weren't just like oh, here's all these hymns, guys, let's just throw them on the wall, whichever sticks, that's the order we put it in. They actually put the book of Psalms into a particular order for a purpose. So Psalm 1 through 150 were ordered into different books and ordered together to to tell us something. And so I wanted to start off this morning by reading through the first two Psalms because it's believed that the first two psalms kind of set the foundation for how the rest of the psalms are going to go, including Psalm 150. Um, you have your different types of psalms. You have Thanksgiving psalms. You have lament psalms. You have those psalms where David's pleading and my, you know, my tears have soaked my bed overnight and he's, he's, he's hurting and he's struggling. right? You have those lament psalms. You have Thanksgiving psalms. And you have, you have praise psalms. And also at the beginning, and the first two would be considered what are called wisdom psalms. And I believe that these first two psalms kind of set the course for the rest of them. There's underlying theological truths in the first two psalms to help us better understand and interpret the rest of the psalms, including Psalm 150. And so I wanted to start off by reading through Psalm 1. From the English Standard Version, it says this. Blessed is the man... but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so, I could spend a lot of time on this psalm, but I won't. I'm just going to give you a basic underlying truth that is presented to us in Psalm 1. And the basic underlying truth is this, is that for the man or woman who delights in the Lord is a solid, unmoving, and blessed. And what I mean by that is, is, as you see in the psalm where he says, and his delight is in the law of the Lord. To delight in the law of the Lord, you have to look at the law, and you realize that the law is just a, a reflection of God's character and a reflection of his righteousness and his justice and his everything. It, it The law of God gives you a picture of his character and who he is. And so to delight in God's law is to delight in God himself. So, blessed is the man whose delight is in the Lord. He is happy. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. That tree can go through anything. It's got a constant flow of water. It's going to keep its roots strong it's going to keep its uh, leaves green longer than other trees and it's going to be stronger because why it's planted by streams of water so when fall comes and all the leaves die it doesn't matter it's still going to stay alive it's going to get through it if uh, a harsh storm comes and tries to blow it down its roots are deep and strong and so it's going to be unmoving but that won't be so for the wicked The wicked are like chaff, and and what I love about the Bible and living in Big Sandy is that I can make references to farming and agriculture, and you guys are going to understand it. If I were to preach this somewhere else, most people wouldn't. They'd be like, what's a chaff? I've never heard that before. And so it's nice to be able to, it makes it easier for me. And, And so when the Bible says chaff, most of you know what chaff is. It's that piece of the wheat that you don't keep. It's that piece of the wheat just... Sits on the in the ground and dies. It's worthless. You don't use it. You don't need it. Maybe you use it to feed your pigs. Maybe you use it to, right? And so he makes a comparison between the person who is in the Lord, the person who delights in who God is, and the one who doesn't. And his delight is in God himself. And so that's the first truth of the psalm. The first truth is that, The man or woman of God who delights in the Lord and who he is and what he has done for us will be blessed. And really, blessed is just a complicated way of saying happy. That's pretty much what it means. You will be happy. And the next psalm, Psalm 2, says this. And this one gets a little more tense, but I will read it nonetheless. Why do the nations rage... And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So now Psalm chapter 2 sets a different tone, doesn't it? And it's essentially talking about God being king and ruler over everything. He is over all the nations. He is over all the governments and all the... He's over all of it. He's over all of our lives. He is sovereign over all of it. He is in control of everything. If people try to plot against him, he laughs. Ha! Good luck with that. Right? And so the second truth of this psalm that kind of helps us better understand Psalm 150, as we before we jump into it, is that God is king over all things. He is mighty and he is just and he's terrifying. There's a terrifying side to God. We don't like to talk about it, but it's true. He is perfectly just and righteous, and sometimes that should scare us. Especially if, going back to Eric's talking about the enemy within, that we're full of sin and we're full of malice and we're full of uh, anger and jealousy and pride, sometimes if we become aware of that, that should scare us. There should be a side of us that's terrified because God is perfectly just and perfectly holy and we are not and uh-oh, right? And so we need to take refuge in him. We need to take refuge in this king because he's not just just holy, righteous, and Wrathful, but he's also merciful. And we can take refuge and uh, uh, be set under his wing. And a cool thing about this psalm as well is um, you hear that uh, one verse that says, The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I've begotten you. Um, In the context of the Old Testament, of it being a psalm of the Old Testament, when it says the son, it's actually referring to the people of Israel. The people of Israel were his son. That he had begotten, he had set them aside, he had made them their people, he had given them their law, a reflection of his character, and said, live by this law. Did they do that? No. No, they couldn't. But then Jesus comes in, and Jesus is the Son of God, and he is the one who perfectly fulfills the law for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. That's it's a it's a beautiful shout out to the gospel because the fact is, is that the people of Israel couldn't, um, they couldn't fulfill the law. They couldn't do it. So Jesus comes in and He's the better Israel. He fulfills it. He takes care of it. And then He dies and takes the wrath of God upon Himself so that we can become the righteousness of God. So that when God looks on us now as believers, He looks at Jesus. He sees Jesus. Not our sinfulness, not our wickedness. He sees Christ and his righteousness. I just thought that was really cool and worth pointing out. And it also draws into jumping into this Psalm 150. And so we've looked at these first two Psalms and we've seen that blessed and happy is the person who delights in God, whose delight is in the Lord, whose Fulfillment is in God, Who the person who is saved and wants to please and make much of the Lord. He's happy. He's a solid tree planted by streams of water. He's not moving no matter what happens. And it's cool because that psalm also addresses some of the other psalms. Because if you get into the lament psalms, there's still that underlying truth that if I delight in the Lord no matter what happens, no matter my circumstance, no matter if I'm a, um, like a deer panting for streams of water, I'm desperate, I'm thirsty, and I'm struggling. It doesn't matter. God uh, is still good, and he's still king over all things, and I can trust him, Psalm 2. and Psalm 1, he, is, uh, he promises that if I delight in him, I will be blessed, I will be happy, and happiness will not be dictated by my circumstances but in who God is himself because I, I delight in him. Does that make sense? Cool. I'm glad it does. And so, now we dive into Psalm 150. The first verse says this: "Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens." So right off the bat, and actually, it's cool because the last five books of the Psalms start off with that same exclamation: "Praise." The Lord it's a command it's a this isn't a suggestion praise the Lord And then the cool thing about this psalm is it's going to kind of walk us through the the where the why and the how of of worship And let me show you what I mean by that the first uh, the second part of verse one is And it says this i'll read it again Praise god in his sanctuary So where where do we praise him? In his sanctuary. Now, what that means is, is back in Old Testament times, they worshipped him in the temple. It's just another way of saying temple. Now, when Christ came, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the grave, the, the veil was torn, and we became the temple, right? And so, when it's the sanctuary, we can look at it like this. We can look at it two ways. We can look at, look at it individually. So like we, if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit has indwelt himself in you and you are the temple of God. And so wherever you are, you can praise him in the sanctuary because you are the sanctuary and you can praise him no matter where you're at. And it also means it corporately. And what I mean by that is that as the body, because we are the body and we all are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And we are all the sanctuary of God. We can come together as a people and worship God corporately, like we do, and as we should. The church is more than just a building. It's more than just the brick and mortar. It's us. It's the people. It's us coming together and worshiping and praising God. And then the next part of the verse says this, praise him in his mighty heavens. And essentially what that saying is a lot of times in the Old Testament when it said heavens, it was actually referring to both heaven and earth, right? And so, yes, we praise him in the sanctuary as in us as a body together, but we praise him also everywhere else. We praise him in the woods. We praise him on the tractor. We praise him You know, when we're sweeping and mopping floors, that's what I do. So praise him while I'm sweeping and mopping floors, while I'm sitting at my desk. It doesn't matter the place he's with me. I can praise him throughout the earth. And it's also a reference to the fact that he is, again, he is a God who is sitting on a throne. He's high and exalted. High and above our understanding. He's in the heavens. And it's something we can't grasp. And that's, that's another reason to, to praise him. <clears throat> the next part says this. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So why? Right? We praise him for what? And this answers the why of worship. We worship God. God, because of his mighty deeds, now we can uh go Old Testament and his mighty deeds can include um i don 't know the creation of everything that 's pretty mighty we wouldn't be standing here if he hadn't done that that 's a pretty mighty deed. We can praise him for uh you know the many stories in the Old Testament where he does great and mighty things like you know the you know I think the first thing that popped in my head was uh when the was it I want to say it was Elijah or Elisha, one of those. And he was going up against the bales, and the bales were like, "We'll make this. Our God will, you know, send down fire and take out take this offering." And they're desperately trying to get it to happen, and they're talking to him, and he's, of course, Elijah's mocking them. And then he he's like, "Go ahead and soak this wood in water, and let's put a moat around it, and let's fill it with water, you know." And then he just prays a prayer, and it's gone. That's a mighty deed. We can praise God for that. Uh, But for Christians, for us today, the biggest mighty deed there is, is the gospel, is the good news that Jesus Christ came down in the flesh, he went from being perfect God and he came down and became a man like us, uh, stuck in the slimy flesh that is our flesh, he came down and bore it, he lived a perfect life fulfilling the law that we could never fulfill, and then he died taking on the wrath of God for us. And then he rose from the dead. And we could praise God for that. That's like, the, that's, that's like the greatest news ever. I'm not stuck in my sins. I can worship God for that. We can praise him. That is a reason to praise him. It's for something that he did. It's a mighty deed. That's the mightiest deed he's, he's ever done. And we can praise him for his excellent greatness. That's the next part. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Now we can praise God for who he is, his character. The fact that he is And actually this is just this is a, a big thing that something that I've been convicted about a lot lately in, in my own life is living like God exists. Do you know what I mean by that? A lot of times we get sucked into the world, and I am the most guilty of all this. I get sucked into my job. I get sucked into raising my kids, and and I get distracted. And I'm not saying those are bad things because they're not. They're gifts from God. We've been given those things. We need those things, right? But they can distract us. And I forget that he's there, right? If you're ever sitting alone on a tractor, do you ever think about that fact? Like, God, you are... You do exist. You are there. Is, is he a reality that we live? Is he a, do we live as if he's actually watching us? That if, if everything in this Bible is true, are we living like that? Are we living like he is real and he has revealed his character and nature to us through his word? And are we living as if all of this is true? And that's something that's convicted me a lot lately because I can sit here and say, oh, yeah, I do. But I, I don't. I get sucked into my week. I get focused on, uh, you know, getting into my routine. I get focused on, oh, you know, the dog just peed on my foot again. I get, you know, I get distracted. I know that was a random thought to point out, but it's the first thing that popped in my head. And, <laughs> and, and, and so we can get easily distracted by these things. And again, they're not bad. They're good. Gifts from the Lord himself, further proving his existence. But do we acknowledge that? Is he there? Do you acknowledge his existence? And not just his existence, but also his goodness and his greatness, who he is. The fact that he is willing to come down and save us, even though we are, if we're honest with ourselves, as Eric has been talking to us about for the last few weeks, about our sinfulness and our, um, our hypocrisy and our, and our gossiping and our, all of those things, even though we're still all of those things. He still comes down. That shows great character because that shows that he is, it's a love and a mercy beyond our comprehension. Because I know that if I was God, it would play out a lot differently. All right, go back to the beginning, Adam and Eve. You did what now? Kapoof, I'm starting over. Let's try again, All right? But not our God. He's merciful. He's patient. He's long-suffering, as some texts say. Which I love that word, long-suffering. It means he likes to put up with us. And he's patient and steadfast. And so we can praise him because of his excellent greatness. And now we get to the how. It's verses 3 through 5. It says this. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute. Lute? lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Dance. Just saying. Praise him with strings and a pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. Now we get to the how. Now, there's two things here. First, we can praise him with music, right? It's obvious. Now, do we have to praise him with the lyre and the pipe and the, Right? No, I, I would say this is, this is a cultural thing. We can insert the instruments we use now, so guitar, maybe a hip-hop machine. Yeah, we can praise God with that. A banjo, yeah, we can praise God with a banjo. It's fair game. The point isn't the instrument, it's the heart behind it. What does music do? Music invokes in us emotion. There are songs that can literally make me cry. Now, granted, I'm a musician, and I love music and composition and listening to things, and so it, it, you know, it moves me probably more than most folks, but it still does the same thing. It moves us. It can make us sad. It can make us angry. It can make us happy and joyful. Music does that. And so the point is, is that the psalmist is wanting us to worship God in such a way that and, and I will point out too that most of these instruments kind of are supposed to bring joy because you notice There's dancing in there. Yeah, we can dance for the Lord too. It's right there in the scripture. just saying um, And you know, I'm not going to give you like a how-to because I'm a terrible dancer um, But the point is is that it's the heart behind it It's not necessarily the instruments. It's the heart Are you worshiping God with a joy? When you come in on Sunday morning, are you distracted and just kind of. Or are you actually coming to worship on Sunday to worship the God who saved you? Do we do that or are we distracted? And I'll confess now I'm guilty of it. Watch me on a Sunday morning. Maybe you can call me out on it now because I'm trying to work on it. I don't come in here and worship. I pace. Now, when I preach, I pace. But even when I don't preach, I'm I'm back there walking back and forth, filling out my coffee. I'm not engaged in worshiping God. I'm just, I'm I'm the most guilty in here. And now I'm telling you that, so now you're all going to start hounding me about it, and I think I regret it now. Too late. I've already done it. So, and so the point is, is the heart behind it. Music invokes joy. It invokes emotion. And and worshiping God should do the same, right? That's, that's the how. We worship God in a way that invokes in us a, a, a desire to do it. Going back to Psalm 1 is our delight in the Lord himself. If, if he is our delight, we're going to be happy to worship him, right? The thing is, is we are excited. When, when we delight in something, we're going to express it in some way. You know, you know offhand, I think like you know, Sherry's excited because she's about to be done at the school. You know, she's going to retire soon, and she's very excited about that. And so she's going to express it. Actually, the last whole year she has been. I come into the office every day, and she's 322
1: more days, Jeremy. And I'm like, woo, yeah.
0: And so we we have expression towards things that we we delight in. And so the so the challenge for us is is to to express. Joy and delight in what makes us happy. And, and if God is what makes us happy, when we come into church on Sunday, we're going to express it. We're called to. We need to. We're commanded to, actually. The first verse is what? Praise the Lord. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, well, if you feel like it. No, I come in to worship the Lord. If my joy is in him, my circumstances won't matter. I still have God. If I'm having a bad day, it doesn't matter. I still have God. If I'm having a great day, it doesn't matter. I still got God, right? And so the how is yes, the instruments are a part of it. I think music is good, and I just because I love music, but it's the heart behind it. Does that make sense? And then the last verse says this: "Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord." Ends it with that as well. And actually, the cool thing is, is all the other praise psalms, the last uh, five of them, Psalm 145 through 150, all start and end with praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everybody has a reason to praise God. For the Christian... We have a reason to praise God, as I pointed out before. His mighty deeds, the fact that he saves us even though we don't deserve it. We can praise God for the gospel. Amen? For non-Christians, people who don't believe in God, atheists, agnostics, all those people, they have a reason to praise God as well. You know why? Because he exists and he lets them live. And I don't mean that like harshly like he's going to, you know, take them out. What I mean by that is that he has common grace enough to let people exist who hate him. And that's a reason to praise him. Yeah? All right. So what do we do with all this? I've walked you through a psalm about praise. I have hopefully challenged and maybe inspired, maybe made you think, maybe got the gears moving a little bit maybe you're thinking to yourself have i do i come into worship distracted oh i got to get back out on the tractor oh this part's broken i got to go order parts for this oh i got to go do this tomorrow oh i got to go prepare food for so and so uh, and uh, uh, uh and then oh service is over all right see you next week right are we doing that are we coming in here To praise and worship the God who exists, who is real, who is there, who saved you, and wants you to worship him. Right? He created us to delight in him, guys. We were made to worship. And we all worship something. Are you worshiping Jesus? And just a... Another thing about worship is worship brings us together. Let me explain what I mean by that. Because it draws us closer to people. There's a passage in Ephesians chapter 5 where, where Paul is, um, let me turn to it real quick. He's, he's talking about how to live our lives as Christians together, right, because it ain't easy. We're all full of flaws. We all make mistakes. We're all hard to be around sometimes, right? And a part of us growing together as a congregation is that we come together and we worship God. And he says this. He says, uh, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing singing and making melody to the Lord. With your heart. And he's saying that within a portion of the text when he's talking about how we are to live our lives and how we are to encourage and love each other and spur each other on towards pursuing righteousness and holiness in the Lord. And a part of us doing that is coming and worshiping together. It doesn't matter if the person next to you's voice isn't on key, it's okay. We've come here to worship God together. And so, praise God today, guys. Worship him. You are his temple. Go out into the world and worship God. Look at a car. Look at a tree. Look at the dirt. Look at your children, your grandchildren. Look at them. And praise God. You know, like, uh, my wife's super pregnant right now. She's about to uh, have a baby here. Hopefully at the end of the month, we're hoping. But, I mean, she's not due till like, mid-July. Uh, but I I can praise God that, like... I don't know, if you've ever, like, done research on the formation of children in the womb, it is the coolest thing ever. And I can praise God for that, because he's creating a new life, right? It's hard to believe that we all in this room were once in that position once. We were all in a womb. We all started there, and now we're here. It's mind-boggling to me, and I can praise God for that. We all have reasons to praise the Lord. It's how we grow. It's how we overcome sin. Just like Tim Keller says, we need worship. We need it. And so I wanted to actually have us stand and rise, and I was hoping you guys would be willing to sing this song with me that I attempted to sing earlier, Psalm 145, so that we could practice Worshiping together. And then I'll close us in prayer and we will call her a day. Praise the Lord together. We all have reason to. Like I said, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you have a reason to praise God right now. I will
1: bless you all of my days, Lord. I will praise you always, my God and King. I will bless and honor your name, Lord. Always and forever my soul will sing. Such a vast, unsearchable greatness. Great is Yahweh, worthy of all our praise. Let your people sound through the ages. All your eyes. Some works till the end of day. We have seen your splendor and glory. We have seen your wonders and stand amazed. Every tongue will echo your story, everyone will sing of your righteous way. All that lives, ever bless His name. All that You have made, Lord, will praise You. All Your saints will worship in joyful strains. Praise the Lord who ransomed and rescued. Praise the God of glory. You are holy, judging the wicked, guiding those who in fear your name. Oh, God.
0: Father God, praise your name. Praise you that you are a God who is real, that you are a God who is with us, that you are a God who sees our struggles and knows our hearts, and you still save us and redeem us and make us new people. Continue to do that. Strengthen our faith today. Uh, Help us to become a people who delight in you and your ways. I love you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.